Okay, so shall we read from verses John chapter 8 verses 31 to 34 together. John chapter 8 verses 31 to 34 together. Okay, you're there. Let's begin reading. Verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in the bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. God bless the reading of his word. Let us pray. Our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for seeing us through the entire week, keeping us safe and bringing us into thy house tonight for a time to study your word and for a time of fellowship. Oh, Father, we do give you thanks for all your goodness, your protection, Lord, that we have health, that we are able to um, read and study and eat. It's all because of your goodness unto us, your protection unto us. So, Lord, we pray that um, even as we come, you ask, we ask that you cleanse us, you wash us of all our sins. Lord, even as we hear thy word, as you speak to us, we pray, Lord, that you would convict our hearts and we, we would want to even confess and repent, Lord, immediately if thou shows us our sins. So, Father, cleanse us and wash us as far as the east is from the west, remove our sins, so that as we study your word, there will be no hindrance tonight. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would truly be our teacher and speak to us and show us more clearly about our Saviour as he walked on earth, how he lived, and how he walked, how he spoke, and what he did. And Father, we pray that through this, we would love him more. So speak to us, Father, now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so now the other week where we reach this point. <coughs> then I asked you that question, all right? I asked you that question. In fact, this verse is um, going to be a very um, significant verse because many quote this verse to say that Christians um, do not need to obey God anymore. Okay, so let's look at verse... Um, Verse 32. Okay, now, here the Lord Jesus himself says this, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Okay, the truth will make you free. It shall make you free. In fact, I, I asked you a question. Now, you're free. As, as you listen to Christ, you believe in him, then now you're free. So question number one I asked you. Some teach today that since God uh, freed us, right? God forgave us forgive our sins, um, we'll forgive our sins, the past, present and future sins, then there is no need to preach on repentance and preach against sin. Alright, I'm not making this up. This is a very popular doctrine today and it's um, popularized by um, pre the preacher Joseph Prince, those of you who know him in Singapore. Joseph Prince has this doctrine. He don't believe in preaching on repentance. He don't believe about preaching against sin because he say what's the point of preaching about sin because god has forgiven you god will continue to forgive you so no need waste time um, make people feeling feel bad that's silly um, and then he says no need to preach about repentance as a result because you know no need to preach about sin so is that what this verse is talking about so that's very popular all right any of you have heard such a teaching? 
Okay, let me read to you this book, alright? I'm going through this book with um, the sisters, the adult sisters in church. It's written by Cynthia Hield, and um, she's a Baptist um, writing about grace, about covenant theology. So it's, it's very messy, um, but because it's very messy, it's very good for us to study. So we are able to see um, how they think and why, why they do not understand or what's wrong. And let me read to you, she quote this verse as well. So just to let you know the prevalence, the prevalence, as Australians say, about um, how, how people take this verse and say, really, churches like BPCWA, always preaching about sin. And it's very bad. We have liberty now, right? So now let me read to you this chapter. Um, okay, so the chapter begins by, this is chapter 6. It says, liberty and legalism. All right, liberty and legalism. So she quotes um, immediately, but she quotes from um, the Living Bible, I think. Or maybe it's NIV here. So she quotes this very verse that we read, John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. If you continue my word, then you are truly my disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Okay, and then she shared her testimony. Okay, so now she reads this. Because the truth has made us free. So we have a life of liberty. Free means liberty, right? Um, freedom to live as we wish. So now she says this. Um, Living legalistic lifestyle, right? Means legalistic means to them. Legalistic means um, you teach about what, telling people in the from the Bible you must do this, you must not do that, you cannot do this, you can can do that. So it's very legalistic, you know, like following the law. So it's called legalistic. Say so, so or this legalistic. This is legalistic. We are free. We are free. So she says, living a legalistic lifestyle. Um, and he said, my desire to promote myself is communicated in small things. So he said, if I live a legalistic lifestyle, you know, but God has made me free. But if I keep following rules and law, then she says, um, I worry over whether my dress will meet everyone's approval. Now she's saying, oh, those churches that preach about modesty. Hmm? Then she said, or oh, whether I have the right Bible. <laughs> those churches that say, there are some Bibles that, you cannot trust because they are errors. Or if I quote acceptable sources, in other words, I should only read John Calvin. <laughs> I should read certain books, certain books are no good. And oh, see that they're, so she pretty much hint that this is legalistic. Christ has made us free based on this verse. All right, so she goes on to say, then how should a Christian live based on this freedom that we have? Um, so she says this. Um, Rather, I can rest secure in the abiding presence of His Word. Sounds good. So he said, I don't have to follow rules. I rest secure in the abiding presence of His Word and in His indwelling Spirit to guide my choices. So she said, now, is, please don't tell me what to do. And don't judge me about things. You know, no rules, no law. What's that song uh, in, in Frozen? No right, no wrong. No rules for me. Because it's what? Christ has set you free, right? You have liberty now. Alright? You, this, this, you think these concepts come from a vacuum? No, they, they come from somewhere. It's philosophy of the world. So she says now, now he said, I can rest secure in his word and, it, and his 
indwelling spirit to guide my choices in exercising my liberty because I'm set free by Christ the key criterion becomes if I do this will it bring glory to God all right so no laws no no rules um, the Holy Spirit will guide me hmm? the Holy Spirit will guide me in exercising my liberty freedom in Christ Christ set me free now this is how I choose to live Christian life if she says she, she says, the Christ criterion simply becomes, if I do this, will it bring glory to God? Okay? Now, I ask you this question. No more laws. No more rules. Don't, have, don't tell them, don't tell people um, this can be done or that cannot be done. Alright? Um, Ray E wants to tattoo across his neck. To God be the glory. <laughs> hmm? No rules. Liberty. The key criterion is the Holy Spirit will guide my choices and the key criterion um, is if I do this, will it bring glory to God? Everybody who sees my tattoo will say, to God be the glory. Hmm? Liberty. I wear mini skirt, low plunging blouses because it said, don't let people judge my dressing anymore. God created me to be so beautiful. To God be the glory. <laughs> How? It's still God, God be the glory, right? So now how? Is that what this verse is saying? Because this now is the new Christianity. Right? I quote all this and I show you up contemporary books and I read to you what they're trying to teach when they quote this verse. What I'm trying to tell you is this. I'm not trying to make fun of, of authors. I'm trying to tell you this. This is what is being taught in Christianity today. You must be aware. That's why when we cover this verse, my question is this. So you, you will hear famous preachers like Joseph Prince and all that teaching this concept. So now, so what is this verse exactly about? Okay, so now, what do you think is, it is about? Um, because I asked you that. What, what does the Bible teach? What is the first principle about interpreting God's word? We are going to do that in a combined fellowship. Hmm? Starts with a C. Context. context. Read the context. Right? Read the context. Now, based on that context, alright, Selena, do you have a Bible? Alright. Based on that context, let's let's see. Based on that context, Selena, do you think that Christ is saying, go ahead, do whatever you want. You are set free. You have liberty. In fact, whoa, this, if the sun shall set you free, you will be free indeed. As free as possible. Alright, so we read the context. Do you think it is that? Okay. <laughs> okay. So everyone scroll. What do you think the context is about? Or what is the context about? 831, right? Mm -hmm. If you continue in my word. Hmm? So very good. 831 tells us the context was continue in my word. Is it ignore God's word? No. It is find out what God's words say. Liberty does not mean we are freed from following God's word. In fact, God says if you continue, means you keep in it. You don't ignore it. Okay? So what else do you think is this about? We read from 31 to 34 just now. Alright, so Selena gave one, one answer. Um, anyone want, else want to try? Being, 
verse 34. Mabel, you wanted to say something? Free from going to hell? Free from going to hell? Wait, wait, must prove from the verse. Must prove from the context. <coughs> Alright, so why do you say free from being going to hell? From the context, verse 31 to 34. You're right, you know. <laughs> You're right. The question is, you have to prove. You know why I always ask you to prove or not? It's not to embarrass you or make fun of you. Because when you always can prove from the Bible, then you're very sure it becomes your own conviction. It's not because I say it or the church say it. You see it for yourself. Right? So, why do you say it's freed from going to hell? Actually, because of verse 34, right? Oh, no, no, actually we didn't read. It's actually verse 35. Maybe you went ahead of us. Verse 35, The servant abideth in the house forever. Uh, the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. I will explain what it is afterwards. Alright, it's actually about, yes, it's about um, freed from um, going to hell, freed from the punishment, the judgment. Um, so just now, uh, Joshua said, free from, free from what, Joshua? Freed from sin. Okay, freed from sin. What do you mean freed from sin? Okay, so, so you're freed from being a servant of sin. That is what it means. Alright, the context tells us you're being freed from being the servant of sin. Now, in other words, what is a servant? A servant is a bond slave, right? A bond person. So you're under bondage. Free from the bondage of sin. Can you think of a verse? I asked that question actually. Can you think of a verse which makes this very clear? What this freedom that Christ gives, what it is about? Yeah. Give you a hint. It's in Galatians. So no one knows. Uh, uh, it has to do with that, but this verse just simply explains very precisely, clearly, as clear as daylight can be what this freedom in Christ is about. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Maybe we get um, Brenda to read to us. Galatians 5, 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Right, you see here? Stand fast. In the liberty, the freedom, wherewith Christ has made us free. Right? So Christ said, I set you free, right? I set you free. What is this freedom? Paul explains. Be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. The bondage of, the rest of the chapter was about sin. Right? Walking in the flesh and so on. So it's freedom from the bondage of sin. Is it freedom from sin? That's why I asked Joshua just now. Is it freedom from sin? No. This is what's the difference between freedom from sin and freedom from the bondage of sin? Well, maybe it means the same, but just to be clear, would you ever fall into sin again after Christ made you free, Christ saved you? You still sin, we still sin, right? We live in this world, we will still fall into sin. So are we freed from sin? In that sense, we are not. We will still sin. But the difference is we are freed from the bondage of sin. Means... You will not be tied down by sin. You will not be continuously committing the same sin over and over again and you find that you cannot overcome it. It is never true that a Christian 
has no power to overcome sin. That is what Christ is saying, I freed you from the bondage of sin. The servanthood, being a servant to sin, means you repeatedly want to sin. Now, if, if after salvation you actually have no compunction, you still want to sin, you still want to commit sin like without any conviction, then you have not been set free, you have not been saved. Okay, so the Christian have the power to overcome sin. Through who? Through the Holy Spirit. Okay? Okay? So, now this is the proof that all the teachings about liberty and freedom from obeying God's word is all unbiblical. Okay? Right? From the context as well as from Galatians 1.5 and many other parts of the Bible, you must be aware of, of this. So now, this, this word legalistic, okay, legalistic, because all these people, they quote, the moment they say, you're free, the moment you're told, dress modestly, or oh, legalistic, the moment you're told, um, go for worship, oh, legalistic, the moment you're told, um, don't be worldly, oh, legalistic, anything that you tell that has rules is legalistic. You have to realize that, especially young people, you all, you, are, you live in an age, you live in a philosophy which constantly is molding, conforming you, impressing you to be against authority, <laughs> against rules. You have to realize that. That is an anti-Christian, anti-Christ philosophy. You have to discern that. If you're listening to something, you're watching something, you have to discern the moment it is a scene, um, a voice, a teaching that says, don't obey, break away. This is what it's trying to teach you. You will slowly change. Very soon you'll be very rebellious. This, is, this generation is probably one of the most rebellious generation against authority, government, against school authority, against any authority, church, parents. It's very strong. When you feel that you're beginning to be very rebellious, then you have to ask yourself, have I now um, fallen into that philosophy of rebelliousness? Rebelliousness, alright? So, Christ has set us free, and God says, if you continue in my word, verse 31, let's look at verse 31, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. What is the proof that you are Christ's disciple? What's a disciple? Do you remember? Anyone remember? Shenry, do you remember? What's a disciple? Think Kung Fu. <laughs> Follower, right? Someone who, who is a learner of another person. Being disciple, learning, following, obeying, um, emulating, right? So, are you a true disciple of Christ? What is the test? If you continue in my word. Freedom. So now, from, from now onwards, whenever I ask you this question, right? what does Christian liberty mean? Because by and large, most people today, you ask, what's Christian liberty? Christian liberty means freedom from legalism. Hmm? But when you read the Bible, Christian liberty is freedom from the... Okay, you don't know or you're just... Uh, um, getting tired and drowsy because of the heat. The freedom from the bondage of sin. Every time you think about in the Bible, Christian liberty is not a freedom to go do whatever we want. 
In fact, it's a freedom to... Say again? Yes, it's a freedom to do what you always could not do. Now you can. You can. You're able to obey Christ. So with this kind of freedom, what are you going to ask God for? It is no more, God, can I go to this movie? God, can I listen to that? God, can I dress this way? God, can I go out there? Can I go here? Can I go there? God, can I do this? It's not, God, can I live as close to sin as possible and not sin? It is about, God, what do you want me to do more to obey you? Because now I can. Now I can. It's a bit like that. Um, Last time, you could not carry weights. You could only carry five pounds. Then now, all of a sudden, you realize that you can carry as much weight as you want. (laughs) So it's no longer you go to gym and say, uh, let me see which weight. It's, wow, give me all the weight. You get what I'm saying? Christian liberty is telling God, God, now you have freed me. What do you want me to do? I want to live to the maximum in obedience to your word. I want to be the maximum Christian that I can be. Understand that? So this is Christian liberty. It's freedom now from the bondage of sin. It's not freedom to do as you wish. The Christians back then, now there is that legalism effect. But what is that legalism? It's different from what we understand legalism today. Most people tell you Christians today, if they say, oh, your church is very legalistic. What they mean is this. When the people say your church is very legalistic, it means they say, your church says don't use this kind of um, pop music in church. Your church says um, um, uh, don't believe in uh, tongue speaking. They have seized. Your church says uh, you must um, separate from those that are supporting the ecumenical movement. Oh, your church is very legalistic, full of rules. Full of rules. You want to join this? No, cannot. You know, full of rules. Now, this is typically what they mean by legalism today. But back then, back then, during Paul's time, when they say legalism, they mean something else. Do you know what it means? The Mishnah. Huh? The Mishnah. Right? Torah. Basically, the, the, basically, back then, legalism was you must be circumcised to be saved. You must um, wash your hands before you eat. Alright? You must... That kind of thing. They were... Back then, the legalism is they do all this extra... The keyword is extra laws, the Talmud and Mishnah, the extra laws that the Pharisees impose on them to be saved. Understand? So back then, those legalism, they're definitely wrong. Understand that? You do not, we do not observe any of that. So when people say legalism, your church is very legalistic, you tell them, no, no, we don't sacrifice animals. <laughs> no, no, we don't, have, we don't make people wash their feet before they come into church. No, no, we don't tell them to circumcise their children. No, no, we... Now, that is legalism. The extra things that the Pharisees wanted them to do in order to be saved. Understand? Now, we are legalistic if we tell you this. If we tell you, um, Brian, don't cut your hair so short. (laughs) Why is that legalistic? Why? Remember I said the key word is what? Extra. Means it's not in the Bible. Understand that. When it's not in the Bible, you ask someone to do it. And especially if you ask someone to do it to be saved. You cut your hair like that, I think you, want, you can't be saved. Now that's absolutely legalism. 
not in the Bible and ask him to do something to be saved. Or even if it's in the Bible and we say, um, for example, we say, Selina, you must be baptized, otherwise you cannot be saved. Now, is that legalism? That is legalism. All right. Is baptism wrong? No. But baptism for salvation is untrue. Understand? So you must be very clear about what legalism is. Because if not, someone tells you, then you go, oh yeah, my church is very legalistic. You must be crystal clear in your mind. Because when you attend um, a sound church in this age where churches have fallen away, everything that we do will be branded as legalism. Then you have to be very clear. Is it legalism? Otherwise, you begin to think, yeah, I think I should leave my church and go join something else. Right? The sound churches will always be branded as that. Hmm? Okay, understand that? So can you differentiate now? If someone tells you, dress modestly, is it legalism? Is it in the Bible? It is in the Bible. Women dress modestly, it's in the Bible. Right? So when we ask you to do that, unless we ask you to do it for salvation, we are wrong. But if we say we do that because you are saved, you are a child of God. Do that. Are we being legalistic? Are we imposing rules on you? No. What are we doing? We're simply telling you what is in God's word. As a child of God, do that to please God. Don't do that to obey the church. Do that because now you realize, oh, God wants me to be like that. God wants me to be like that. So I change. Understand that? Okay? Alright, so, so you understand this problem when people say, I'm guided by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, as long as it glorifies God. That's why today you see Christians doing a lot of things and they simply say, no, the Bible didn't say that. And the Bible clearly says that. The Bible talks about tattooing. Do not put marks on your body. Right? Say, no, 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 no. If I put to God be the glory, it's okay. Because it glorifies God. It is not about what we interpret and what we want to do. It is what God's Word tells us. Okay? But I want to end this part by saying this. It has to be your conviction. Understand? It has to be your conviction. You have to love God enough to say, Lord, what do you want me to be as a child of yours? And I want to be there. It has to be like that. And no one need to tell you. No one need to tell you before you go out, change that dress. No one need to tell you before you go out, comb that hair. <laughs> right? Now the style is, man, as, as messy as possible, uh, that's the style. You, know, it's, you just want to be like the world, as worldly as possible. You don't, when you go out, your parents don't have to ask you, where are you going? What are you watching? Who are you going out with? No need, because it's in you. God, I want to be the child that pleases you from your word. You obey because of that. Alright, it has to be that. Okay? Now, so now, the Lord says, but let me ask you this. Uh, if you don't feel like it, then how? Hmm? Uh, Ray E really loves to have a tattoo on his neck. And he really loves it. <laughs> I'm not planting ideas. Ray hates that, I know. Now, he really wants that. And then, parents say no, Ray E. Then parents show Ray E from the Bible. Then Ray say, yeah, I know it's in the Bible. But I really want a tattoo. But preacher Joseph say, it must be in my conviction and I must, it must be something I really want to do. If not, I should just go ahead and do it. 
Is it like that? No. When you don't feel like doing it. Remember the camp message? Remember the camp message we had in camp? How do you prove your love to God? When you obey Him, just when you don't feel like obeying Him. Right? That is our proof of our love to God. So how does Ray prove his love to God? I really like that tattoo that, that I saw my friend on the neck. But I saw it in the Bible. I still really like it. But God, you know what? I love you. And as much as I like to do this, but God, I will obey you to show you that I love you. Understand that? So sometimes it may not be what you like also. If it is always what we like, we have no problem in our Christian walk in life. But we know we always struggle, right? We always want, the flesh always want that which God doesn't want. And God say you can overcome it. And when, even when you don't feel like it, you obey. You obey. You obey. Okay, so now, next. So remember, the context is not about being freed from His Word. Huh? It is to actually obey His Word. Freedom to be, have the ability to obey His Word, in other words. Last time, you don't have the ability to obey His Word. Now you are freed from the bondage of sin, and now you can obey His Word, not freed from His Word. Okay, so now the next one, which comes to what Mabel said, alright? So now, wait, verse 34, let's see. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Amen, Amen. You know, so verily, it means Amen, Amen. Okay, surely, surely. I say to you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Means you are not free. Okay, if you tell people, oh, no rules, and then you keep going on in sin, God said, no, you are not free at all. You are the servant of sin. Um, uh, Mabel, do you commit sin? Yes? Who don't commit sin? We all commit sin, right? In this room. Now, verse 34. Whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. So, Mabel, are you a servant of sin? No. No, why? Because servant of sin means you're bonded in sin. means you keep wanting to sin and you don't care. Alright, understand? So, Mabel is correct. Although I commit sin, but I'm not a servant of sin. I'm a child of God. I'm free. Right? So, because sometimes you read this, we get very confused. Oh, no. I'm a servant of sin. I'm going to hell. <laughs> hmm? So, we have to understand it is a habitual love to sin, that is the meaning, servant to sin, a habitual love to sin. If you're, if you're like that, then you're a servant to sin, you're not saved. Now, because Christ himself said that in verse 34. Now, verse 35, what do you think it means? And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. Okay, so now, this is going to be something that you have to read in verse 33 to get to understand the context now look, look at verse 33 they answered him we be the we be abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man how sayest thou ye shall be made free okay so imagine the scene christ say if i set you free you will be free indeed now all these jews listen to it and they say hang on we are not slaves because the moment you say free means free you from bondage say we are jews we, in fact, are the children of Abraham. We, were, we are not slaves to anybody. Hmm? That's what you say. Actually, they are quite silly because now they are all, they're all under the bondage of who? The Romans. Right? They are so proud. They are just so proud of their heritage. We are Abraham's children. We are not... Because they keep thinking of Egypt. 
Uh, Egypt say, oh, no, no, we, we, are not, we are not slaves, we are Jews, you know. And then Paul said, now, because of that, Christ said, so you think you are part of Abraham's house, alright? Now, verse 35, right, because you want to understand verse 35. And the servant abideth not in the house. So he said, you think you are part of Abraham's house? But let me tell you, don't think that you are always part of Abraham's house. And he said, but the son abideth forever. I mean, he says that only the son, only God stays in his house forever. He said, you, you Jews think that you are, um, because you are Abraham's seed, you will always be part of, be in God's kingdom. You are always in God's kingdom. He said, I am the son. I am the one who decides which slave stays in the house or not stay in the house. I'm the only one who stays in here forever. Don't think just because you're Abraham's seed, you're forever, every lineage of yours will be in Abraham's house. Understand what you're saying now? Okay? No. Get? Alright, because he's telling me blankly as well, I thought. Alright, so he, he's saying that. In other words, he's saying this. He says that, I, the son, am the one who decides, because, you know, back then they have slaves. Alright, so they will understand. The master is the one who decides which slaves stays on in the house. If you're a bad slave, they will sell you away and become a slave of another house. Okay? But if you're a good slave, they may choose to free you. Okay? So this is what he's saying. I'm the master of the house. So don't think that just because you're Abraham's lineage, you are safe. I hope none of us think that because we're born in Christian family, because we come to BPCWA, we go to a conservative church, we are automatically saved. No, huh? we are not. You have to make sure of your own salvation. So Christ is trying to tell them that. Okay? And then he reminds them, if the son death, verse 36, if the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. He says, your freedom is not found in being Abraham's lineage. You as a Christian, your freedom, you know, is your salvation. So Mabel is right. You know, it's about salvation here. Your salvation, being freed from eternal punishment, eternal bondage, that freedom is found in verse 36. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the one who sets you free. Not coming to church, not studying the Bible, not praying, but your trust in Jesus Christ. Okay? So the trust comes first. The belief in Christ comes first. Now, I'm not saying you don't read the Bible and don't pray, eh? Those things don't save you. Those things are there because you are saved. You are saved and therefore you want to do those things. Alright? <clears throat> so next. So he says that. Now this is from now on is going to be big argument with about Abraham. So just now the hymn was very appropriate. The God of Abraham prays. Alright? Christ says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the master of the house. <clears throat> the God of Abraham. Very grand so now from here onwards, it's going to be all about argument about Abraham. About them and their relationship with Abraham. Alright? So now, okay, so like, let's, let's prepare uh, for this part. Anyway, your question number two. So which Bible verse is that? Galatians 5.1, right? You got it down there. Uh. Okay, so now. Okay, so... Now, put on your thinking cap, huh? you, because you've got to follow Christ's argument now with the Jews. So Christ is now standing there arguing with the Jews. And they're going to keep talking about Abraham, so you've got to follow what Christ is saying. 
And the point is this, uh, before I go into this, explaining to you how Christ was, was um, arguing with them, is this, Christ throughout is going to keep arguing about his what? What's the book of John about? Deity of Christ. All right? Please remember, I don't finish John. And what's the book of John about? John's focus was always pointing men to the deity of Christ. What's the book of Mark about? Servanthood of Christ. What's the gospel of John, uh, Luke focusing on? Manhood, humanity. What about Matthew? Kingship. All right? So different of the gospel writers, they focus on different things. So now, John will purposely... Um, record this detailed argument that Christ with, has with, with the Jews because Christ here is, is what he's doing is defending his deity. Deity means that he is God, his Godhood. All right? He's defending his deity, his Godhood. So now, let's see how they argue. All right? So now, verse, verse, um, verse 37. Okay, so let's read verse 37 together. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. They say, I know, I know, you keep wanting to talk about Abraham's seed. Yes, I know, physically you are Abraham's seed. Physically, yes. I don't deny that. Okay, now he says in verse 38, then he says, uh, verse 37 first, but, uh, but, you seek to kill me because my word have no place in you. Then verse 38, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and do that which you have seen. And, sorry, and ye do that which you have seen with your father. Uh-oh. Okay, now talking about father. Who likes to be, who likes someone talking about your father? Okay, so now Christ is going to talk about their father. Alright, this is going to be a very um, heated um, exchange. So he said, you claim that Abraham is your father. Then Christ said, my father, I've always claimed to you who's my father. God in heaven, right? I do what God in heaven asked me to do. You claim that Abraham is your father, but, and you do what your father do. Then they say, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Okay, so now they say, verse 39. They say, hang on, Christ, wait, wait, wait a minute. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. They say, hang on, hang on. You say, we want to kill you because I do, you do what your father do. Which is what? To kill him, right? To kill people. They say, hang on, we are Abraham's children. Abraham is not a killer. That's what they're saying. Understand or not? Following so far? Say, hang on, Abraham is our father. Please, don't accuse Abraham of, of anything. Now, then Christ, verse 39 says, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. They say, yes, I agree with you. You keep saying you're Abraham's children, but how come you want to kill me? You want to kill me because you are doing the works of your father, just like I do the works of my father in heaven. You do the works of your father. They say, okay, now who are you trying to say is our father? <laughs> okay, that's basically the argument now. Verse 40. Verse 40. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. They say, I tell you the truth. Abraham did not try to Abraham did not go around killing people who tell him the truth. But you, when I tell you the truth, you want to kill me. And then verse 41, again it goes, alright, verse 41. Ye do the deeds of your father. <laughs> Say, alright, Christ. Who alright? Who, who are you trying to accuse us of being children of? Uh, so then he says, verse 41, then said they unto him, 
we be not born of fornication, we have one father, even God. Okay, now they get very, very personal already. They're really angry. Say, stop saying that. Right? Like children in school, if you, if you fight your friends, when you're young, I don't know. Um, they, oh, then they say things about your parents. They say, oh, stop saying that. Then what do you do? Your natural reaction is scold the person, right? So verse 41, their reaction, scold the person. We be not, they say, we be not born of fornication. So in other words, he say that we are not born um, out of wedlock. Hmm? We are pure children. We have one father, even God. Uh, verse 42, now Christ will say some things um, further. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Verse 43, why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Alright, before we go further. Now, this is a very important doctrine here. Now, they say, oh, God is my father. Right? They say, please, don't, 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 like the Chinese say, don't anyhow say. Alright, the Singaporean, don't anyhow say. Alright, God is our father. Abraham is our father. Then Christ said, if, if God is really your father, you will not kill me, because I proceed from the Father, I ask you this question, number three. What is the doctrine concerning Christ proceeding from the Father in verse 42? Now, Christ says these words, uh, I proceeded forth and came from God. I proceeded forth and came from God. This is a very major theological doctrine and it is called the eternal generation of the Son. Alright? The eternality of Christ. Now, what does it mean I proceed from the Father from and came from God? Does it mean that Jesus had a beginning? No. How do you know? Because of chapter what? <laughs> chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse what? 1 and 2. Right? Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And who is he talking about? Jesus Christ. Okay? So, the eternality of God. So, it is not about that. Now, there is this erroneous teaching also. I keep telling you all, because the reason why I'm telling you all this is because these are prevalent doctrines. You have to understand. Uh, John MacArthur at one time wrote that Jesus Christ did not become the Son until after incarnation. You know what is Incarnation. It's not the milk that you put in your tea. <laughs> Alright? Incarnation. Incarnation is God coming to earth, become, taking on flesh, becoming human. And the key word is what? Permanently. <laughs> he stayed in the form of flesh. Okay? What's the difference between... Did Christ come in the flesh before? In the Old Testament? Did He appear as man before? He did. Many times. Why is that not incarnation? That is called what? Theor, theophanies. Theophanies. Theos is God. Phany means uh, manifest. God manifested. So every time Christ appeared last time in the flesh as man, he went back to heaven, he discarded that human form. Okay? Understand? Incarnation when he was born of the virgin birth as a baby. Did he, did he give away his flesh again? How, how is Christ in heaven now? Is he in the flesh or in the spirit? 
huh? flesh. Remember that. Christ take on this incarnation. He's permanently in the human form. Notice the word form. Huh? He's not human. He's human form. Forever in heaven. So you know when we go to heaven, no, before we go to uh, if you go to heaven now, we'll see Christ in the human form. What will you see on his hands? The nail prints on his hand, on his foot, on his forehead, the crown, the crown of the, the injuries made the crown of thorn. Right? So you see all that. That is the most beautiful and glorious sight. So when Christ rules on earth, he sits in Jerusalem in during the 1,000 years in what form? Human form. Okay? So now, this is incarnation. Now, <clears throat> so John MacArthur had this idea. He said that Christ was not son. His sonship began when he took on incarnation. It means he became, the, then from then on, he became the son. Now, this is an erroneous doctrine. All right? The sonship of Christ was from eternality. All right? In the Bible, Christ was always the son from the beginning. All right? It was that relationship in the Trinity. The Trinity was not like God, 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 and then all three God. Then after Christ became man, then they decided to say, okay, I, I be, I'll be Father, you be Son, you be Holy Spirit. No. From eternality, it was already God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. That's why the Jews... Remember the moment Jesus said, I am the Son of God. What did they do? Want to stone Him. Why? Because in the Old Testament, before even Jesus was born, in the Old Testament, they always knew it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They always understood this was one God. They always understood Son of God means He's the second person in the Godhead. That's why when Jesus said, I am the Son of God, they immediately want to kill Him because you blaspheme. You're man, how can you be God? Right? So, now, this, say, I proceed from the Father. He's not saying, I now become the Son. Not, huh? So please remember that. So you may read some books. Um, and John MacArthur said that. Some say he has recanted. Some say he still continues to um, subtly teach that. But we don't know. Now, this, this sonship. For God so loved the world. And then, say it aloud. He gave his... Wait, I heard someone say only son. Only begotten son. Okay? Only begotten son. Now, you go to NIV, it's, it's what? One and only son. Okay, you go to maybe, I think, TEV, today's English version, is his only son. Is Jesus Christ God's only son? And one and only son? Are you a son of God? Yes, right? Right, we are, we are sons of God. Right? Does God only have one son? Not very accurate. Now, this, this eternality and eternal um, generation of Christ is a very important doctrine. The word begotten is very crucial. This word begotten is not simple. Now, actually, there's no such word. The Greek word is monogenes. Monogenes. Alright, that's why it's only mono. Mono means one, right? Monogenes. Generated. Begotten. Right? Only begotten son. There's no such word in English. They have to coin all these words. That's why many of the words you speak today, do you realize in English it's because of the King James Bible? Many of the words never existed. Because they were Greek. In order to have an English word, they have to create 
literally invent a new word. So many of the things they say today, they are actually because of King James Bible. So anyway, <clears throat> this only begotten, you must not think of it as any other relationship on earth. Means like father gave birth to son, then son began to exist. Not that kind. This only begotten when it's used with respect to Christ, it talks about that, that trinity relationship that existed from eternity. From eternity means, means what? Before time began. Alright? Before time began. Do you realize that time had a beginning? Right? Time was not always there. Time had a beginning. Before even time existed, before God created time, it was already Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So only begotten is a very critical doctrine. Understand? Only begotten emphasizes what? Christ what? Godhead. Godhood. It emphasizes Christ is God. So this, this I proceed, when Christ said, I proceed from the Father, He's talking about His Godhead, His Godhood. He's talking about, I am God, that Son that was always with the Father. Understand what He's saying? Alright, so now, interestingly, um, Brother Chung shared that he was talking to a what? Jehovah Witness in Singapore. He was a taxi driver, is it? Yeah, so he was talking about, well, Christ is not God. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. I hope that through this study on John, you'll be grounded and you'll be strong and be able to explain. Okay? In fact, this, the rest, Christ is still continuing to defend his deity. In other words, I'm trying to tell you this. Did the Jews deny that Jesus is God? They're denying here. Before that, we kept studying. The last seven chapters, they kept denying. Today, are people still denying that Jesus is God? It's still, it's still happening. That's why God's word, we must know it well. Right? Even Christians deny that. Even Christians teach that in Bible colleges. Okay, now. So now Christ said, alright. So now you understand this important doctrine. It is about Christ's eternality. It's about Christ is God. That is what it is about. Only begotten. Now, so now who is their father? Who is Christ trying to say is their father? Not Abraham, but who? Look at verse 43. 44. Oh no. Let's read verse 44 together. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speak a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. Oh no. <laughs> How would you want to be around that conversation when it's happening? You can say, Abraham's our father, Abraham's our father, God is our father. No, if God was your father, why would you want to kill me? Abraham is your father, why would you not do these things? So they're still wondering, so who are you trying to say is our father? So Christ said, you are of your father, the devil. The devil. How would you like to be told that? Alright, you are the father, the devil. So Christ is saying, yes, you may be a physical seed of Abraham, but you are not saved. You still belong to the devil's kingdom. You are not in Abraham's house. You might say, I'm in the house. No, you're not in this house. Don't think that just because you're Abraham's seed, you are forever in this house. You better know whether you're truly Abraham's seed. Spiritual heritage. Not talking about physical heritage. Their spiritual heritage was what? From the devil. From the devil. Okay, so now, the next one. Question number four. 
Name the characteristics of the devil as described by Jesus, our Lord Jesus. So you want to study the doctrine of the devil? Here it is. Okay, because Jesus himself is going to describe who the devil is. Okay? As they say, uh, okay, who the, who the devil is. Now, what are the characteristics of the devil? Can you all list it out? Let's read aloud. Just shout out some. Hmm? Alright, murderer, some more. Liar. Say again. Father of lies. Say again. Lustful, full of lust. Yes, some more. Murderer, right? Hateful. Very good. What else? Say again. Yes, do not live in truth. Always live in lies. Say again. No truth in him. Only falsehood. Okay, there's one more. Uh, where's that? Uh, okay, maybe. Speak of his own means he, he makes it up himself. He makes it up himself, you know. Um, and the one actually is right in the beginning. He is a father. <laughs> He's a father. Alright? He is a father. He wants to be your father. Now, I never forget a lesson that I learned, and someone was teaching this. Say, the devil wants to imitate God in everything. Hmm? Who does God the Father calls God the Godhead? God the Father calls himself the Father. Satan also wants to be Father. He wants to be the Father of mankind. He wants to rule mankind. He wants to. He wants you to obey him. Just like any other father. He wants you to be in his home, in his house, under him, under his authority. Satan wants to be a father. He wants to be a father to you. So please realize that. I always make this statement. God has a will for you. Right? God has a will for you. God saved you for a purpose. He has a will for you. So remember that, young person. God didn't save you randomly. God saved you for a purpose. You must find that purpose. Live that purpose fully to glorify Him. But remember, Satan is, he wants to be Father. He also has a will for you. Satan has a will for you. He wants you to do that will. He wants to be your Father and make you do His will. Understand? Satan has many will for you. One is, he wants you to marry the wrong person. He wants you to marry unbelievers. Satan wants you to take the wrong jobs. Satan wants you to pursue the world and not God. Satan wants you to, well, many of the things here, Satan wants you to lie. His will is falsehood. He wants you to lie. Don't lie. Because when you and I lie, who becomes our father? We are trying to be Satan's child. Because God says he's the father of all lies. Right or not? He's the, look at verse 44. <clears throat> Last part. For he is a liar and the father of it. All lies origin fathered by Satan. Don't lie to each other. Don't lie to your parents. Don't lie. When you lie, you have just said, Satan, I just acknowledge you as my father. Don't do that. 
The best thing is to tell the truth. Alright? Always tell the truth. Your parents, your teachers, your friends are much more forgiving when you tell the truth. Alright? But the most important thing is because don't do the Father's will. Don't do the Devil's will. What else? So, I think lying is one of the biggest problems for young people. I take that back for everyone. <laughs> At any age. At any age, lying. You know what's the problem with lying? You, when you tell the first lie, what will happen? You will end up needing to tell a second lie to cover for the first lie. And then after that, you have to keep telling lies until you forget which is the lie and which is the truth anymore. You forget even what you said. Very dangerous. Right? That's how Satan wants you to be. And one, he never stops at one lie. Please remember that. You steal, you copy, it doesn't stop. Never once. When you copy, then you have to lie. And it just goes on and on and on and on, right? So Satan is like that. He is like that. Don't fall into that kind of thing. When you fall into sin, just admit it. Remember David? David committed a terrible sin, right? What sin did he commit? Two big sins. Murder and adultery. Alright? Now, you imagine you're a king. The whole nation knows. Will know. You can lie, cover it up. But David did not. He just admitted straight away. And when he did that, what did Nathan say? Nathan said, God has forgiven you of your sin. Alright? The best policy is always to confess immediately. So don't keep lying. Don't keep lying. Now, what else he is? Lust. Lust. A lot of lust. Lust origin from him. You have lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All these lusts come from him. Alright, so Christ is describing what Satan is. Alright, so please, take note. When you fall into those sins, when you want those things, you're basically acting in Satan's will. What else? Right, the lust of a father you will do is a murderer. He hates. Murderer, hateful. That's why I don't watch all these violent movies. They're very terrible. I watch them once and I say, oh, I actually find my, my heart beating so fast. And then I say, yeah, kill the man, kill the man. And halfway through, why am I thinking? You know, I suddenly become a murderer in my heart. Hateful. So all these things are training people to be very violent. Hmm? It's so violent, right, this world? Now, what do you think? <coughs> Satan is the murderer. He wants you to act like that. People kill for the smallest thing now. You ride a bicycle on the road, huh? you block someone's path, the car will chase after you and try and knock you down and kill you. Right? You read it in papers all the time now, right? Road rage. Murderer. Just small things that you cannot imagine that people would murder for. So, from Satan. Okay? So now, so many of these things, please take note. If you want to know, look at your life, you say, hey, am I doing the Father's will? God the Father or, or Satan the Father's will. Now, <clears throat> verse 45. Alright, so I answered question number 4. Okay, now this is the interesting part. Now, they refuse to listen all the while. Verse 45. Now, Christ says, verse 45, and, and because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which one of you convinceth me of sin? And, and if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? Okay, so now... 
Christ is saying, I keep telling you the truth, which will set you free, but you refuse, you will not believe me. And then he says, verse 46, do you know what it means, which one of you, which of you convinced me of sin? It means, which of you can convict me of sin? Which of you, they are trying to say that Christ is a sinner. That's the point. Christ can read his heart. Which one of you convinced me of sin? Alright, you convinced me that I have sinned. Come and convince me. Prove to me that I'm a sinner. Because they keep saying Christ is not God, he's a sinner. So you, you show me my sin, you show me my sin, convince me. Verse 46, and if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? So Christ keeps saying, you don't believe me, you don't believe me, you don't believe me. Instead of believing me, you keep saying, I'm the one who is a sinner. Now why do they not believe? Verse 47, read together. He that is of God, heareth God's word. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Now Christ, when he said, why don't you believe me? Why don't you believe me? Christ is not, I really don't understand why you don't believe me. How come uh, you don't believe me? Christ is not asking them. Christ is making a statement. Ask them twice and then give them the answer. Basically to, to really wake them up. He said, because, verse 47, you are not of God. If you are of God, you will hear my words. Why do you hear God's word? Can you remember? My sheep hear my voice. Okay? My sheep hear my voice. Christ keeps saying, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. Those sheep are very interesting, right? I preach on that at church camp. The sheep is very interesting. Many shepherds can stand there and keep shouting. They will just ignore the voice totally. Then they had these tourists come. Right? They get the tourists standing there. So all the three scream and do all sorts of antics to try and get the attention of the sheep. The sheep just bow their head and keep eating. But the moment the shepherd makes a, make a sound, all the sheep will look up. And then the sheep will all run to him. Now Christ said, my sheep will hear my voice. If you are a child of God, you will hear God's voice. You will. You will respond. You will believe. You will want God's word. So he said, the reason why you don't hear, you Jews, unbelieving Jews, because you are not God's children. You are not Abraham's spiritual children. You are the devil's spiritual children. That's why you will reject. That's why when God's word is preached, if constantly in your heart, you hear, then you get angry. I don't like that preacher. Hmm. Point out my sin. I hate him. I don't like this church because this church talks about sin. And then these are the sin that I love. And then they talk about it. I hate this church. These are the Jews, the unbelieving Jews. Then you behave. Then you have to ask yourself, oh no. If you're like that, oh no. Then God says, I don't hear. Hear this here is not just sound waves and then hit your ears and then you heard the, the sound. Huh? This here is it's hearing with an understanding and a desire to receive. It's that kind of hearing. Alright? So now I say, if you're the kind who refuses, who hates, so I get very worried. Recently, um, Dr. Koshi came and then suddenly I heard some people go and complain to him. Oh, I hate Joseph's preaching. I hate oh, when he preached this, when he preached that. So I remember Dr. Koshi was so upset. Then he told me it's the same. In his last 20, 30 years in the ministry, the same. <laughs> it's just the same. People will hate. Those that are not God's sheep, they will hate God's voice. They will hate it when their sins are pointed out. And this was exactly the Jews. What did Christ just do? Point out their sin. You want to kill me. 
Do you know who is the killer? Satan and your, his children. So they hated it. They can't take it. But if you're a child of God, you'll be convicted. Oh no. Oh no, I want to repent. I want to change. Right? So how we hear God's word? You will know in your heart, are you a child of God? Are you the kind who, like today, very often in our opening prayer, God, show us our sin, convict us. Well, that's a prayer of a believer. An unbeliever, God, show us how much you love us and how much you want liberty in our life. It's different, alright? So, it's a different world, different Christianity today, but it's just like back then, isn't it? Hmm? Isn't it the same as this day? Isn't it the same as what Christ was going through? People hated the truth. They don't want the truth. They hate it when Christ told them their sin. They hate it. You know what's so bad? <coughs> it was so bad that once um, I had to... Yeah, someone told me to stop preaching. I said, wow, that bad. I said, okay. I just preached. And I said, alright, I'm sending this message to Reverend Quack. <laughs> right? He's my homiletics lecturer. Um, he's, the, he's the strictest um, examiner you can ever find for, for homiletics. Homiletics means the art of preaching, right? the art and science of preaching. Right? So he's, he's the strictest. Every time, every week, um, the girls will go and cry, then they won't come down for lunch. And then the guys will basically also cannot eat, <laughs> they sit there. He will tear you apart. All right? You know why, right? Because we're handling God's word. We have to be very accurate. We are wrong. He will point out. They always say, better, you better learn it in the class here and don't make the mistake in the church because they are sheep. You don't feed them poison. Right? You don't anyhow interpret God's word. So it's very good. I love it. You know, I learned so much. So, alright, I'll send my message to Reverend Craig. Reverend Craig, please listen to it. And the person say, oh, this is very bad. Reverend Craig wrote back and say, I've listened to it. Theology is good. Doctrine is sound. Keep preaching. And then he commented, People who want to live in sin will hate this message. That's it. This is then I think it's exactly like Christ's time, right? Is it the same? It's the same in the church today too. There are those who don't want their sin to be pointed out. When their sin is pointed out, they get angry. The Pharisees were like that. You call us father, you call us murderers. But that is exactly what they were trying to do, right? From chapter one to chapter seven, we've been reading. They keep following Christ. They've been trying to plot to kill him all the while. And when Christ said, you want to kill me? What? Okay, let's see what, he, what they say. What they say. Verse 48. After Christ said, you want to kill me. You're a murderer. You show me where is my sin. Verse 48. Let's read verse 48 together. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan. Ah. Say we not well. So now the Jews are really angry. You know when people's sins get pointed out, what do they do? They call you names. <laughs> They call you names in return. Call you names. It says, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan. What does it mean? It's a, it's a very derogative way of talking. You know they hate the Samaritans, right? Half-breed. You know half-breed? In Singapore, we call it paria. It means paria. No, paria. Paria means, like, you know they're pure-beat dogs. Those of you who love dogs, pure-beat dogs. So, Alsatian, meet with Alsatian, and then you have Alsatian, you know? And then, but the Alsatian made with a, a, a wild, a, a, without breed dog, and then you get a, a dog that is not a pure breed. It's called Alsatian. Hey. <laughs> it's, it's called Paria. Paria. So when, when in Singapore you call you, your Paria is, is like back then they call you a Samaritan, means not pure, impure. 
of fornication even, you know. That's why in verse 41 says, We be not born of fornication. And then, but now they want to say, Christ, you are born there, it's unpure. You, know? you are not unpure, you are unpure. It's Samaritan. And the worst thing is what? And you have a devil. Say we not well. What do we mean? Say we not well. Didn't we say this before? See? From what you say, we have just proved ourselves true. You are a pariah and you have a devil. That's how angry they are. When your sin is pointed out. David was different, right? When David's sin was pointed out, immediately he confessed and repent. Now, I want to ask you this question. You go to school. You believe in the Lord Jesus. Your friends call you all sorts of names. What did they call you? Did they call you anything for being a Christian? Or being a good Christian? Maybe they give you nicknames. They make fun of you. Uh, the goody, the... Goody, goody, goody two shoes. What's goody two shoes? What is it? You mean you wear one shoe, eh? Goody two shoes, eh? Yeah, all that kind of thing, you know? Oh, also, then, oh, you attend BBCW. Oh, they make fun of you for being godly. Then you get very angry. You get really upset. You go back, you cannot sleep. Right? You get really upset. You cannot eat, cannot sleep. And for the rest of the months, you keep. Um, gossiping about the other person, trying to get back at the other person. That's how it is with humans. But can you imagine who is this? Christ is God on earth. God on earth. Someone goes to God. God, you know. Someone goes to God. You have a devil. If you were God, <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> Smite the person there away. Send fire down from heaven, you know, burn the guy up immediately. We would do that. In fact, did the disciples want God to do that? Right? They did not receive it, and the disciples said, Shall we call fire down from heaven and burn them up? But look at how Christ responds, verse 49. And Jesus answered. To me, these were the most amazing words. Uh, Jesus answered. He answered. Not Jesus scream at them. You are upset. Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you do dishonor me. Can you imagine the response? You are a very good person. Someone comes out and accuses you of the nastiest thing, which is absolutely untrue. How will you react? Well, Christ react. He answered, I have not a devil. So, why did now Christ? went through all this. For who? For who? For you and I. Why was Christ going through all this? Tolerating all this. And say, alright, that's enough. I mean, you, 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 can, you can dislike me, you can what? But I'm God and you call me devil. <laughs> that's enough. I'm done with this world. Float up to heaven and send fire down and demolish the world. He could do that in an instant. Why was he so patient and so tolerant? And he kept going on and on and on and on. Remember when they asked him to go to, go to Jerusalem and show himself, and then he said, my time is not yet. My hour is not yet, right? Means he said, I will go to the cross and I will die one day, but not yet, not yet. Why was he tolerating all this on earth? For who? Put your name there. For Joshua. For Joseph. 
for Maybelline. For, put your name there. He's going through all this so patiently for you. For you. What can you not bear for him? Let me ask you. Um, giving up a little bit for him? No, not willing. Giving up hobbies for him? No, not willing. Obeying him means, means I can't do what I love? No, not willing. But Christ went through all this for you. How can we not be willing? Right? So Christ was so patient. To me, whenever I read this, I still cannot grasp it fully. The patience of God for our sake. And you say, I have not a devil. Right? And say, my father, I honor my father and you do dishonor me. He just said, you dishonor me. That's all. Verse 50, and I seek not my own. Let, let me see, ask you any question or not. So why the people don't believe? It's because they are not. They are not God's sheep. So you must check whether you are God's sheep. Okay, not yet. Alright, so now he says, verse 50, he says, I seek not mine own glory, there is one that seeketh and judgeth. He said, yes, I don't come to show off. Alright, I'm not trying to prove anything to you, but there is one that is going to prove you. Verse 51, Verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 51, If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Are you a believer? Yes. Do you keep God's word? Ray Yi. Shen Ray. Do you keep God's word? You try to, but you do, right? Right? Mm. Um, uh, Hannah, do you keep God's word? You try to, but you do, right? We try to means we still do, right? Alright, so we keep God's word. So now, Hannah, verse 50, uh, verse 51. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Christ say. Alright, if a man or woman keep my saying, he shall never see death. Hannah and Shen Rei are never going to see death. You're not going to grow old. Well, even if you grow old, you're never going to see death. Won't die. Because Christ said that. Now, what does this mean? What do you think it means? Spiritual death. Spiritual death? You won't see spiritual death. Will you see physical death? We will see physical death. All right. So Christ is obviously talking about which death? First, second or third death? Second death. All right, is that third death? No third death, right? Second death. So make sure you understand now uh, what is this death that Christ is talking about. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. All right, which death? Revelation chapter 20. Oh. Okay, which death is that? Okay, verse 6 now. Let's read verse 6 together. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him. Okay, read verse 5, read huh? verse 5 as well. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So, God show us in Revelation, we will all die, then we go to heaven or we get, we get raptured, alright, so we will be with God. And verse 5 says, the rest of the dead live not until thousand years were finished. In other words, if you have an unbeliever friend, he or she dies, when will this unbeliever friend 
meet God. God will resurrect the person to meet him for judgment. When? The rest live not until the thousand years were finished. Means after the millennium. Alright, those that are unbelievers, we get resurrected, right? We get resurrected and we'll live in the millennium. The rest of the unbelieving world, they die, but they remain dead. Understand? They remain dead. That's why it says, the rest of the dead live not again <coughs> until the thousand years were over, means after millennium, alright, then these ones will be resurrected for judgment. Okay? Understand that, huh? Well, bodily resurrected, they are in hell, but they will be bodily resurrected for that judgment. Okay? Now, so now, this is, but verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that had passed in the first resurrection. First resurrection means we. We die, we die, and then when God comes back, he resurrects us, right? Or rapture us. You, if you are dead, buried, God resurrects us, and then he gives us the glorious immortal body that has no sin, that is perfect. And then we have the body that's called the what resurrection? First resurrection. Alright? Now, then what is, then you, you remember verse 6, you say, where the second death has no power. Now, this is the Christ, this is the death that Christ is talking about. He shall not see death. He's talking about the second death. Second death. Now, what is this second death? It's described in verse 11. Verse 11 describes the second death. Um, God, verse 11 and 12, God will judge them. All right, God will judge them, and then what will happen to them? In verse, verse, um, verse 15, And whosoever was not found in the book, written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. This is the what death? Second death. Why is it called second death? What do you think? You want to guess why is it called second death, Selina? Hmm? No? All right. Uh, Samantha, you want to guess why is it called second death? Correct. Alright, so that's exactly what we just read. They died the first time. They were not resurrected until 1000 years later. They'll be resurrected and then they will die again. And the second death is really the casting into hell that for eternity. That's the death that Christ is on. Those that believe in Him will not see this second death, will not see death. Is this death? Alright, that's why we always say, yeah, sorry, great. Isn't it lake of fire, not hell? Lake of fire. Did I say hell? Yeah. yeah. Hell and hell will be cast into lake of fire. So the final place is lake of fire. Hell is now. Alright? So that's why we always say, born once, die, how many times? Twice. Very good, Selena. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Understand why, right? If you are born twice, uh-oh, how do we get born twice? I only want to die once, I don't want to die that second death. How do I get born twice, Maybelline? How do I get born twice? Do you understand the same Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. Born once, die twice means? How do you get born twice so that you die only once? Don't have this second death in hell. Mm -hmm. Okay, so first birth is what? Born from mother's womb. Right? Then what's the second birth? The God saved us and that's called the new birth. 
Alright, that's why Christ told Nicodemus, unless ye be born again, unless you're born again, you know, see the kingdom of heaven. So born again, the second birth. What is the second birth? The second birth is when we come to Christ. So you're born as a baby, came out, first birth. Second birth is when you come to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I will go to hell. There's no other way. And I know from God's word that you are the only saviour. Please forgive me. I know no matter how much good works I do, I cannot get saved. So I beg you to forgive me and to save me. Then Christ receive you. Say, yes, I will forgive you. And then you get saved. That is your new birth. Born again. Right? From then on, you live for Christ. You obey Him. Now, if you went to Christ like that, that's what I was trying to explain to someone. Let me ask you. Let me ask you. Can you go to heaven by obeying God? Yes or no? Trick question. <laughs> what do you think? Yes. Only you believe in Him, then you go, you go to heaven, right? By obeying Him before you believe, before you ask Him to save you, can you go to heaven? Cannot. That's called good works. Right? God, I obey you, alright? God, I go to church, I, go, I study the Bible, I pray, I give money to church, I serve and do a lot of things. God, I do all these things. So you save me, alright, God? Cannot. But if you go to God, God, there's nothing I can do. Nothing. I know no matter what I do, it's not good enough. God, can you save me? Please just save me. Salvation is like a beggar going to someone who can help him. He has nothing to offer except to say, please help me. That's all. And after He saves us, then we obey Him because we love Him. Right? Okay, so be very clear. Born twice, die how many times, Mabel? Born twice, die once. Very good. Born once, die twice. Very good. I think it's a very good statement. We really understand, right? So I thought it's a good statement. So now when Christ says you will not see death, He's talking about that. It doesn't mean you will never die. You still see physical death, but we will never see spiritual death. In other words, it's this, you know. Selina, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not see death. It also means this. When you close your eyes, you die physically, but you never see death. You immediately are with God. You know what that means? You never see death. Instantly, you're with God. The moment you die here, you don't have to wait, no. Wait, I must go purgatory, no such thing. Wait, uh, I think I must wait for... Sometimes that track will be like... Must wait for angel come and pick me up. Then fly me to heaven, that kind of thing. Uh, not really like that. Alright? Yes? When you resurrected to heaven, what are you doing then until you wait Okay, so now, if, for example, so the question is, if I die now, right? And then, it's not millennium yet. Alright, so I, I die, my spirit go to heaven. So what am I doing in heaven until, until the millennium, right? Until Christ come back, right? That's your question? Oh, okay. Do you get judged immediately? All right. Okay, you asked a very tough theological question. All right, so now I give you the views. But basically, if we die now, we, our spirit immediately goes to God. That's why Paul say, absent in the body, present with the Lord. Hmm? It's instant. Alright, so no, you never see death. So death is very wonderful for the believer, you know. I like to die. If I die now, the moment I die, I'm in immediately with Christ. Who don't want to be? Alright? But there's work to do, so I have to stay. Then if I die now, instantly I'm with Christ. Do I get judged? 
Now we know Christians also get judged, right? But not judged to send you to hell, but judged for the works that we have done. Judged for what? For rewards. It's like a sportsman running, and then he's judged. Then when he finished the race, he's rewarded. Right? What prizes you get? What God will reward us? So we do get judged. Our works get judged. Do we get judged immediately? That's your question, right? Alright. So we do not get judged immediately. Alright. What we understand is the Bema seat judgment. That judgment is called the Bema seat judgment. Alright. Not this great white throne judgment as alright. So uh, alright, so Bema seat judgment is a time when rapture. I, I show you two views. One view is when we die, we don't get judged yet. Be must not yet. But at the rapture, when Christ appears secretly and we get raptured, at that point, one view is that is when the Bima seat judgment starts. That's one view. Alright, there's another view that is we also don't get the Bima seat also is not at that point. The Bima seat is when we just read this second death, the great white throne judgment at the end of 1000, it all happens together. Alright? Because some say, hey, if Bima seat, then what about those that live during that 1000 years? You know, they didn't get their reward judgment. Yeah? So there are two views. The Bible, sometimes when it comes to eschatology, there are many views that are not explicitly clear. Like, you know, is it pre tribulation? Or middle, do we get raptured in the beginning or do we get raptured in the three and a half year point? It's also not very clear, we do not know. I, I strongly believe it is it is at the beginning of the seven years because um, we will not see wrath, right? So so I believe that. So this view, so not sure which exactly, right? But but both view takes the understanding that it is not immediately. It will come a point where we all gather and there will be the judgment. Answer your question? Alright? Okay. So now. So now Christ is still trying to persuade them. Okay, now he's trying to tell them, look, do you know that if you believe me, you will never see death. It's so wonderful. Why do you refuse to believe me? Why do you continue to be so stubborn? <coughs> now, why do you want to keep on to your sin? Okay, verse 52, he said, talk again. Now, they answered back. Okay, we've got to finish quickly. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Oh, here we go again. See, now confirm already. Christ, confirm. Definitely you have a devil. Verse 51. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. They're saying this. Christ, now definitely there's something wrong with you and you're possessed with the devil. They say, Abraham is already dead. Right? And you say, will not see death. Yeah? So you say, Abraham died. Well, how can you say people don't see that? They're thinking only of, they think that oh, physically Abraham should not have died. They say, no, no, no such thing. The prophets even died. And then verse 52, he's 53 said, Art thou greater than our father Abraham? They continue to say, which is dead. And the prophets which are dead, who makest thou? Who makest thou thyself? You say, you say, wow, oh, you, you mean just, you mean because a few people won't die. And then you mean the prophets and Abraham can live forever on earth. Obviously, it's not talking about that. You know, it's the same, right? They're very physical. Very physical. They keep thinking of physical death. Remember before this, the other people, also physical. Oh, can you give us bread that we eat and then forever won't go hungry? All physical. So these people are also very physical. So please, uh, don't be so earthly-minded until everything is earth, earth, earth. They were like that. Now, verse 54, he says, If I honour myself, my honour is nothing. It is my Father that honoureth me. Of whom you say he is your God. He say you say God is your father. 
Then God the Father honor me. How come you don't honor me? Now, how did God the Father honor Christ? Because Christ just said, the Father honor me. How did he honor me? We studied seven chapters. How did God the Father honor him? One at the baptism, right? The Father said, this is my son in whom I am, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Did God, Father, God the Father honor him? Yes. Did God the Father honor him in the miracles he performed? Yes. Did God the Father honor him in um, what else? I mean, these are very good examples alone. Right? So God the Father always honored him. And he said, I did all this, you saw all this, but you refused to believe God the Father honor him. Verse 55. If you have not if he, 55, if, if yet you have not known him, but I know him, and I should and if I should say I know him not, I, I shall be a liar like unto you. Oh, call them a liar, which they are. But I know him and keep his saying. Verse 56. Okay, so now this is another one. Important doctrine. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Verse 57. Let's read together. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Alright, so he said, he just said this. He said, your father, you call him your father? Alright, your father Abraham rejoiced when he saw my day. They was, Abraham was so happy when he saw my day. Means he knew that one day I will come. He was so happy when he saw me. He saw, he saw me. Then he said, very earthly. Eh? Then the Jews said unto him, are you crazy? You are not even 50 years old. Abraham lived hundreds of years ago. Right? See, how can you? You're not even 50 old. Why did you choose 50? Huh? What's so insulting about 50? I'm 50. <laughs> no, 50. You're not even 50 years old. And say, and you and and have you seen Abraham? Abraham was a few hundred years old back. And you say Abraham rejoiced to see you. Did Abraham now here actually we get a we get a revelation. We saw Abraham brought Isaac. When did Abraham see his day and was glad? Alright? Well, God made promises to him that your seed will inherit the earth. And then Abraham brought Isaac to sacrifice. And then Abraham was willingly going to sacrifice. And here God revealed what was in Abraham's heart. That's why I like reading New Testament and comparing. So all the time when Abraham went through all this, Jesus said he, he was very happy. He saw my day. In other words, in Abraham's mind, now we get a glimpse. While Abraham went through all this, he always could see Christ, the day of Christ. That one day Christ will come, that one day Christ will die for his sin, and because of his resurrection, that he and his children will also have resurrection. And Abraham was so happy. Was so happy. That's why he said, even if I kill my son, I know he will be resurrected one day. Because he saw and he was happy. Alright? So he saw. He said, Abraham saw. Now they are upset. Say, are you crazy? You exist so far down the road. What are you talking about? Verse 58, huh? Now, I want you to notice this. Let's read 58 together. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Oh. He said, Before Abraham was even born, I already existed. I already existed. Now, what is he claiming? You read verse 59. Let's read 59, last one together. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. They took up stones to cast at him. <laughs> Alright, maybe 
Mabel already know why. Why did they take up stones to cast at him? He's God. How do you know he's saying that he's God? What did Jesus say? What, which word made them knew, know that he's saying he's, he's God? Which word? I am. I am. The moment you say I am, they immediately bend down and pick up stones already. All the while, they call, you call your, your, your father is the devil. <laughs> you would think that when they call, someone call you, call, say your father is the devil, you pick up stones and, and throw at him. They didn't. But the moment he says, before Abraham was, I am. Those two words. Immediately they want to stone him. Why did they want to stone him? Because they know they... You turn to chapter 10. I always want you to remember this chapter, right? Chapter 10. Verse 32, 33. Finishing. 32, 33. Let's read 32, 33 together. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? And Jesus and Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because thou art being a man, makest thyself God. Right? They want to stone Jesus. Each time they want to stone Jesus, because Jesus, they say you blaspheme. You claim to be God. So they must stone him. Why is this two word I am worthy of stoning? What is your name? Um, my I am Selina. The most say, I am Selina. I just say I am. Why do you want to stone me for saying I am? What makes I am? What does why, why when Christ say I am? They straight away know you you claiming to be God. We want to stone you. Exodus. Very good. Exodus chapter three. Very good. Wow, wonderful. I'm glad you remember these verses. These are very important verses because it's our Savior. Deity. So let's read Exodus 3, 14 together. Reading. God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am that sent me unto you. Alright, Moses say, Who shall I say send me to them? And he keeps using this word, I am. The pre, I am is the pre-existent, I am pre-existing. I don't have to explain who I am. I am. The, the Jews knew this verse very well. The Jews know the Bible very well. And the moment they say I am, they would think of Exodus 3, 14. Then don't, they don't have verse numbers. Right? But they would know Jesus is claiming to be this I am, God. And immediately they want to stone him. Alright? So another verse that proved that Jesus claimed to be God. Muslims always say, no, Jesus never claimed to be God. Right? The Jehovah Witnesses, the Seventh-day Adventists always say, Jesus never claimed to be God. He always claimed to be God, to the point where they're always stoning Him. They just don't understand the Jewish, what, what is in the Bible. Alright, so, I just give you the last question, and then I give you the answers, and then we are done. Alright? In summary, what did Christ declare of Himself? Okay, and what did the unbelieving Jews accuse Him of? 33 to 48. Okay, do you remember what you were trying to, what Jesus is declaring? Jesus declares that I am sinless. Right? He declared that I am sinless. Because what he say, which one of you convinced me of sin? Right? Which one of you convinced me of sin? So Jesus said, I am sinless. Okay, but what did the Jews call him? Sinner. Sinner. 
you are a Samaritan and, a, and have a devil. Your Samaritan means you're impure. You have a devil. Alright? Now, <clears throat> then, I'm just trying to summarize the chapter for you. Then the re, um, verses 50 to 53. Can you just look at these three verses? What was Jesus declaring? He's a giver of? He is a giver of what? Giver of life. Alright, Jesus is a giver of life. He said, if you keep my saying, you will never see death. He's a giver of life. Okay? But, they say that you are just a man. You are just a man who will also die. You're 50 years old only. You know, you will also die. Alright, and then the last one. Now, this is the easy one. Alright? In verses 54 to 59, we just said, He declared Himself to be what? The eternal God. I am the eternal God. Alright? And verse 59, basically they call him the blasphemer. That's why they want to stone him. Okay, so this summarizes for you this chapter. Now I hope, now my point in this chapter is this. You, why I explain all this in detail? Number one, you should understand the word of God. No, we should study and be excited. But mainly is this. This is Christ's conversation with the unbelieving Jews to prove that he's God. And then he shows that how patient he was. You must love your Savior. Understand that? Number one. Number two is this. The point about the unbelieving Jews, they were always, un they were always resistant to God's word, unbelieving. Huh? They listened to all sorts of things. So I want to caution you. You also can become like them. You have to ask yourself, when I listen to sermons, do I start behaving like these Jews? When my sins are pointed out, I don't like it. When you read the Bible, mm, I don't like it. You can be very resistant. To the point where, what are you reading? Hmm? What do you read? What do you listen to? Do you begin to think like the world? Be like the world? Influenced by the world's philosophy? And then you begin to doubt. Yeah, maybe Christ is not God. Maybe Christianity is not this, it's not that. Hmm? It's very dangerous. These were the behaviors of the unbelieving Jews. When we start to behave like that, we must check ourselves. How can you love God, believe in Him, study His Word? Study His Word. The more you study, the more the proof that He is God is so clear. Right? Don't be surprised. One day you have Christian friends who tell you, Oh, Jesus is not God. Why do you insist that Jesus is God? Right? So we must know God's Word. That's why we study in so much detail. Right? Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us all the details of our Saviour's walk on earth. Lord, even as we hear him um, converse with these Jews, we begin to see his heart, how much he loved us, how patient he was on earth, all because he was going to cross, going to the cross for us to die for us. And Lord, we pray that as we live through this life and we see what he went through for us, how he had to tolerate the nonsense of men, tolerate the accusations, the blasphemy, the insults of men, yet he went through all this for us. Lord, how much we must love him and be willing to go through anything for him. Father, we give you thanks for this time of studying. In Jesus' name. Amen.